Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Scootybarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Creek, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Scootybarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, that's in the Old Testament. If you go to the very middle of the Bible, the, go, uh, the Gospel of Psalms, uh, to the Psalms, and then you fast forward just a few books, you go into Proverbs, and uh, let me see, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then uh, Isaiah. So that's page 888. <laughs> Question, do you want to see God? Now be, be careful before you answer that, because seeing God... Is, uh, is an experience. When I say an experience, what I mean by that is it's, it's, it's different than just seeing a friend. Seeing God deter- demands that we see God on His terms, and He sets those terms. It means that, that we see Him for who He is, not for who we want Him to be. We see Him for, for his, the depth of His character and His nature not for what we superimpose upon him. And God doesn't negotiate. God doesn't haggle. God doesn't give a little so we can take a little. God is fixed and he's firm and, he, and he's unchanging and he's the exact same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, if anything should give us encouragement and, and comfort today, it is the unchanging nature of God. Everything in the world changes. Have you noticed that? I mean, I used to be strong, skinny, and handsome. I'm joking, kind of. I'm really uncomfortable right now at, at the, the lack of response on that. I got to be honest. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really uncomfortable. That didn't go, it, went, it was way funnier in my head. But the truth is, everything in life is changing, isn't it? Absolutely everything. There, do you know that there have been five earthquakes in J? In Jay, holy smokes, it's crazy. The earth is shifting. The foundations of the earth are moving and changing. Everything's changing. But there's one thing in the whole realm of the universe that never changes, and that is God. This is the one who we've come to worship today. And I feel so inadequate right now because... because All of my words, even if they were all perfect, they could not fully describe the God that we serve. The only way for you and I to see God is on His terms, and it's through His Spirit moving us into His presence. And so Isaiah chapter 6 is the passage. I want to read it, but I want want you to, to let this echo in the back of your mind all morning long. Tonight, when we have a concert of prayer... The concert of prayer echoes the movement of Isaiah 6. We are intentionally walking you through to see God. I say walking you. We are intentionally together walking in this pattern, if you will, through Isaiah 6 so that we see God. And here's the thing. A concert is... We understand concert to mean we go and we sit and we listen. Concert 
Not, not the noun form, but the verb form means to come together in unity, in unison. It means that, that, that with, with, with affirmation, we are in concert. So as we pray this evening, we are in concert together praying with many voices, yet one voice to our God. And the thing that we're asking of God is simply for his presence. That's the ask. And when we ask for his presence, this is what we get. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1, we're going to read through, and then we're going to look at it verse by verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe, it filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their, faith, of their voices, the doorpost and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had, had taken with tongs from the altar when he had touched the mouth. And, and with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. And then he told Isaiah what to say. What we have in Isaiah 6 is a picture of perhaps the ideal meeting with God. It, it, it's, a, it's a picture that we can't duplicate, we can't replicate it, we can't manufacture it. But, but, but there are some principles in here or there are some, 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 um, some movements in here that if we'll pattern our approach to God this way, then, then we will be able to see and hear God. And so it begins in verse 1, in the year King Uzziah died. This is very important. It was around 728 B.C. that King Uzziah died. It's very important to the story because it describes the heart of the people. The people were trembling. The people were afraid because their life was on the, the precipice of chaos. It was on the edge of possible disaster. Here's why. Uzziah was a good king. He was a king that, that was a good king, and through his, his leadership, the, the people experienced peace and prosperity and comfort and security and stability for 52 years. Now, see, our system's radically different. We have a system to where every four to eight years, we change the commander-in-chief. That was actually by design by our forefathers, and there are some good things about that. One of the not-so-good things about that is, you had, seems like we're going like this constantly, right? It, it seems like there's an instability because you've got these, these differing, differing thoughts, and, and it's, just, it's a constant fight. Well, kings work differently. A king is a king until a king dies or is taken out, which is death. And this king was a king for 52 years. Now, that could have been bad if he was an evil king, but he was a good king. And because of his leadership, they had 52 years, good years, 
The crops were flowing, the, 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 the armies were held at bay, and everybody, it's fair to say, got relatively complacent, and it, that became their new normal. So I want you to think about this. In the year King Uzziah died, everything was shaken. Everything was uncertain. Because what happens when a king dies? There's a fight. When a king dies, there's a fight as to who will be the next king. Now, a king has absolute authority. A king rules and, and has the right to rule because he owns the throne and the crown. As soon as there's a vacancy, all the differing groups say, we want to rule. And so the whole nation was, was insecure and wondering what's going to be next. But there's a picture that God is painting here. He's saying, in the year King Uzziah died, in the most stressful, perhaps dangerous, tenuous time of their life, there was another king who has been established since the foundations of the earth were established. What, what God is trying to say to us is this. Earthly kings come and go, but the king of all kings has been on his throne since the foundations of the earth. And it ought to give us reason to say, you know what? What I see with my eyes scares me, but I'm not too scared because I know that our God reigns. It, it's a whole nother way of thinking. It's a whole nother way of living. And so Isaiah saw the Lord, and here's what he saw. He saw him high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now these words here are meant to give us a, a picture of the bigness of God. And again, I said earlier, my words and even biblical words are too small to define God. But we have a picture here of, of the king being high and exalted. Picture this ginormous throne and up on the throne, seated on it, is, is the king. And whatever picture of a king you have in your mind, picture him sitting with his arms outstretched on the, on the, uh, the, the armrest. And picture this, 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 this crown and picture this, this glow and this shine, this bright radiance, which essentially is the glory of, of, of the king. And picture this, this flowing robe that, that, is, that is the majestic purple, the color of royalty. And the train of the robe comes around off the throne and then it encircles the entire temple. And the train of the robe, the train of the robe, T R A N E, right? No, that's a different tra train. The train of the robe fills the temple, and it's a sign of his power and of his majesty. The longer the train, the long, the, the, the more power, the more more prestige. And this this uh, this train is filling the temple, and above him there are two seraphim. Or they're not two seraphim, they were seraphim. Each of them had six wings. Now, this is the only place in the Bible where you see the word seraphim. So they were some angelic being. And they had six wings. Two were covering their faces, probably, so that they didn't look at God. Two were covering their feet. And then with two of them, they moved. And I, I, the best I can think of in terms of how they would move is like a hummingbird. You know, it's like, ding, ding, ding. I mean, it's just, we don't really know other than this. But what we do know is what they said. And apparently this is their whole purpose. These seraphim's entire purpose of existence is to proclaim the holiness of God. Here's what they sang. Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is filled with His glory. Over and over and over. Now I want to try something, okay? This is going to be an audience participation, a participation thing here. I want this side to say that with me. It's in your Bible. Say it, ready? Holy, holy, but I need you to do it out loud, okay? Ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just that, okay? Let's do it again. Okay, would you come on up here and, uh, yes, yes, come on up here. I can't remember your name. I've known you for 20 years. Jesse, thank you. If you're my own kid, you, th- this is your group. You're going to conduct them and direct them, okay? All right, ready? Just, just y'all in the middle, okay? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do it again, ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Leanna, will you come and direct your, your crowd here? Okay. Right over here. All right, you, you're sitting in the front, so who do you want me to call? Ghostbusters? All right, you come on up. Ready? You, just you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, your job as leaders is to get them started. So when you go holy, all right? Try that. Ready? Holy. All right, so, Jesse, go. Try your... Now, I wish I were that cool. I mean, I just... I just, he's like, I mean, your coolness overwhelms me. Do you know that? My goodness. All right, you try it. Got to be louder. Got to be louder. Okay, you go. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want you to start, and then I'm going to have you start, and then I'm going to have you start. I need you, for this to be fully effective, I need you to be as loud as you could possibly be, in unison, in unison, in unison. You ready? Go. Keep going. Keep going. Louder. Keep going. Keep going. Louder. Now, I want you to magnify that in, in, in loudness. Raise the decibel level. And it wasn't, it wasn't just, from what we're reading, it wasn't just one, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, all whole earth fulfilled His glory. Okay, done. It was this continuous constant. Now, can you, I was actually just, to li- I was able to just to listen. So I, I didn't, you, you were saying it, so you may not have felt it, but when you just listened to that, you become overwhelmed with this, this, this feeling of awe. Does that make sense? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So Isaiah is in the presence of God. Remember, insecure, uh, uncertainty, chaos in, in his world, yet he's, he's moved into the presence of God and he sees this 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 complete opposite of what is going on in the world, and he sees this constant, stable, all-powerful king on his throne, and the, the, the physical aspects of his presence are just overwhelming. And then you have these seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Quickly, you can understand how Isaiah would begin to 
move back as far as possible because it's overwhelming. Now, holy means set apart. It means separate. It means otherness. It means different. It means unique. It's a word that in the the, the New Testament, you are called. The same general meaning. You are peculiar. You are distinct. You are sanctified. You are separate. We get our calling and our nature from God who has that nature always. And so when Isaiah was in his presence, he was hearing holy, which means God is completely other. Not like us in any way. Do you know God is not like us in any way? We are like him. That's the difference. Sometimes people will say, Jeff, you're just like your daughter. You're just like your son. I go, no, that's not true. I was first. They are like me. And so God in his whole... Now, notice that it says holy, holy, holy. Why wouldn't they just say holy? Because by saying it three times, you're not just saying, I really like it. And you're not saying, I really, really like it. You're saying with as much as... You you can't say it more. I really, really, really. Right? Now, you and I, when we say that... We, we're, like, we're saying there's nothing more than this right here. That's what the seraphim's job was. It's to declare the holiness of God. And then they said the whole earth is full of his glory. This is a little side trail, okay? It's not a side trail. It's just, I don't want you to forget this. We sometimes misspeak when we say we're going to bring Jesus to this place. We're going to bring Jesus to this people. We're going to go on a mission trip and bring the gospel to them. I know what we're saying by that. I'm guilty of saying that at times too. But we're not bringing Jesus anywhere. He's already there. The whole earth is already full of his glory. We see it in his creation. We see it in people. His glory is it covers and fills the entire earth. When we go somewhere in the name of Jesus, we're not bringing his glory. We're simply uncovering it, revealing it. Now, here's something really cool and powerful about that. When we're just unveiling or revealing God's glory, the pressure is on God, not on us. We're not there to produce anything. We're simply there to, 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 to make a way so that the king can shine. Does that make sense? When you share the gospel in school tomorrow, you're not, you're not there and, and the pressure is not on you so that they will live or die. No, the pressure's all on God. All you're doing is being a mouthpiece for what he's already doing. Can I tell you something? God is already at work at that pers- in that person if he's telling you to share the gospel. He's already at work. It's not up to you. Your job is obedience. So the whole earth is full of the glory. In verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. This is kind of hard to translate here. But at the sound of whose voices? God's? No. 
For the longest time, I used to read that this at the sound of his voice, the, the, the thresholds and the doorposts shook, and it was, the temple was filled with smoke. But that's not what it says, is it? At the sound of the seraphim's voices, their proclamation of the holiness of God shook the place. Oh, don't miss this. You want to know why worship is so important? Because wherever there is worship, there is an unveiling of the glory of God. He does his best work when you and I worship. That's how he reveals himself to a lost and a dark and a dying world. It's through your worship and through mine. You want to know why it's so powerful when we sing together songs that lift up the name of Jesus? Because it wipes away all the dust and all the darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the midst of worship, whether it's singing worship praying worship or, or, or any other kind of worship. In the midst of worship, there cannot be darkness because worship is light and it pierces darkness every single time. Worship always wins. So tonight when we come together, we're going to worship just a piano in our voices. And we expect to see God. Why? Because worship always Wins. Now, be careful. Worship is not singing. Worship is given through singing sometimes. Because if we sing songs of worship without a heart that is bent in worship, we're not worshiping, we're just singing. When a, when a group on stage is singing worship songs, but their heart is not worshiping, them, uh, worshiping um, uh, along with the songs, they're just performing. There's a difference. And so the, the seraphim cried out, holy, holy, holy. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds, they shook. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being in the presence of God where you felt the earth move before you because his power was so evident there? Have you ever wanted that? Have you ever desired that? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about just wanting to feel God because sometimes our feelings are self-serving. We want to feel so that we can feel. No, it's about seeing God so that He can speak. The, the doorposts and the thresholds, they shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This was a, this was a picture. This was a, 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 a helping Isaiah to understand that God's presence surrounded the entire place. And his only response was, Woe is me. Notice in this entire, entire encounter, Isaiah doesn't ask for anything. He doesn't ask to see God. He doesn't ask to be empowered. He doesn't ask for a commission. He doesn't ask for healing. He doesn't ask for hope. He doesn't ask for peace. He's not asking for anything. He's just coming there, and he's just letting God show himself. Now, I'm not saying asking is bad, but what if we stopped asking and let our ask be us showing up? That make sense? What if we stop, stop bombarding God so that we could have the works of His hands and we simply bombarded God so we could see His face? 
I got to be honest, too often we come to God because we want something or we need something. But when all is good, we forget him. By the way, I didn't tell you, but the, the people of God, the Israelites, were in chaos in this moment because their king had died. But what happened was they were so comfortable and complacent in the peace and prosperity that they were disobedient to God. And it's not unlike what we experience today. They were so comfortable. Life was so good that they, had, they were giving God change. They were tipping God. They were going, yeah, God, okay, we'll acknowledge you on Sundays. We'll, we'll give you some credit, but we're having a good life here. And God was about to rock their world. Consequently, they entered into hundreds of dark years after this. A time when God was silent. Desperation. And Isaiah said to God, Woe is me, I'm ruined. And here's what he said. I am a man of unclean lips. Notice he didn't blame anybody else. You know, we're really good about blaming other people for our own sin, aren't we? Well, if they wouldn't have, well, it's really their fault. And our, and our culture is good about this, too. It's always the Democrats' fault, right? Unless you're a Democrat, and then it's the Republicans' fault. Unless you're a Libertarian, and then it's the Democrats' and the Republicans' fault. Unless you just don't vote, then it's everybody's fault, Right? It's always, it's always somebody else's fault. Listen, folks, if you are unholy, if I am unholy, it's your fault. It's my fault. And you and I need to own what is ours to own. I see you smiling. There has to be an inside joke on that. Really? I'm shocked. <laughs> but folks, listen. When we come before God... We're not, we don't need to come before God. Lord, I really need you to do something about his heart. Lord, woe is me. This, this is a condition of my heart. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be what? Faithful to complete it. Right? Now, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. I woke up and I was getting ready to come in here. And um, I made some coffee, and I sat down on, on my uh, little chair in my makeshift living room. Um, and I was drinking my coffee, looking at the Scripture. And I looked around, and I looked to my left. Now, for those of you who don't know, we've been in a process of remodeling our house. Actually, it's an addition plus a remodel. And so, total, make, to, to, total, total uh, uh, makeover. And I'm sitting down, and I look to my left, and I see the brand-new kitchen. Biggest kitchen we've ever had. Granite countertops. It's got cabinets on all the walls and all the appliances are there. The floor is, 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 is new and beautiful and it's got two sinks. I mean, it's, it's the dream kitchen, right? Then I look over here to the right and I see a hole in the wall. And I see insulation stacks in the corner. And I see a pile of flooring and I see concrete and I see tools strewn everywhere and i'm sitting in the middle between a uh, uh, an unfinished house like it reminded me of being on a mission trip to mexico 
You know how you go into a house, and if you've ever been to a mission trip, you know what I'm talking about. They're just constantly, constantly building, constantly unfinished. And so I'm looking at it over here, and then I'm looking at it over here, and I'm saying, man, we sure came a long way, but we we sure have a lot of way to go. And here's what the Lord said to my heart. He said, Jeff, that, he said, you are caught in the middle of not where you were, but not where you want, not where you want to be, not where, where, where I've called you to be. You're caught in the middle. And you're just kind of comfortable with it. What I mean by that is, sure, I walk through and I see the pile of insulation, but it's like, oh, I'll get to it. Right? And sure, I'm walking on concrete. Well, you've not lived until you've lived on concrete, just so you'll know. Now, how many of y'all feel what I'm saying here? Let me see your hands. Y'all have done this, right? You've lived in the... Shannon's hands like, boom, I'm putting two up, right? So, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Have you, did you ever realize that you were caught in the middle and you just became complacent and comfortable and it just became your new normal? Here's what the Lord said to me today. He said, listen, the people of God have become comfortable and complacent in their new normal. Not where they were, but not where they're going to be. They just kind of kind of settled in, and this is the way it is. And he said, I'm saying you're not to stay in the midst of construction. You're supposed to finish, to let me finish the work I've started in you. Does that make sense? And in our faith... He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. It's not God's problem that it's not completed. It is our problem that it's not completed. It's not because God lost hope, and it's not because He doesn't have the resources. It's because we have gone, I'm just tired, just not motivated. Why isn't it done? Because I'm tired. And I'm not motivated. It's not the most important thing in my life. Guess what? When something becomes the most important thing in your life, everything else in the world becomes secondary. Can I get a witness? When you get so fed up with where you are that you're going, you know what? I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it costs. I am going to finish the race. That is where God brought Isaiah. And that, I believe, is where God wants to bring us. He wants us to see our surroundings. I believe that he wants us to remind he wants to remind us where we came from. Listen, I know your stories. They're amazing. So many of you have been brought out of the pit. Can I get it? How many of y'all have been brought out of the pit? Let me see. Look, look around. How, how did you like being in the pit? Not so good, was it? But how many of you say, you know what, I'm not in the pit anymore? But I'm certainly not, God is not finished where he wants me to be. I'm certainly not. Anybody else? So what's it going to take? It's going to take seeing God in this way and crying out to him, Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I will also acknowledge that I live amongst the people of unclean lips. This is important because Isaiah is acknowledging that it's not an easy road and it never will be. Next week's message is, God is unfair. God is not fair. And it comes out of the parable of Jesus. Talk, well, I'm not going to preach it. I'll do it next week. But it deals, with the, it deals with the frustration that you and I sometimes have when we say, Lord, how come 
You're doing all this stuff for them and you're not doing it in me. How come they're seeing blessings and how come they're seeing God and how come I'm not? That's not fair. I've been doing it longer. Anybody ever feel that way? How come they're smiling and I'm not? How come God is revealing? How come God is fresh and alive to them and it's not to me? God is unfair. That's why. I'll just leave it at that. So here's how this wraps up. He says, I live among the people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the king. Do you see that? I've seen the king, the true king, the Lord Almighty. This experience impacted Isaiah so much that his, his calling card, his telling uh, 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 statement is that he called God when he wrote, before he prophesied, he prophesied always with the phrase, the Holy One of Israel. Have you ever been impacted by God to such a degree that it changed the way you talk and the way you refer to Him? To where you say, you know what? No matter what happens, I will never be the same. I have seen God. Because of His uncleanliness, He was afraid. By the way, we should be afraid. Not afraid as in, I feel like God is going to punish me, but we should be afraid in that we recognize his bigness and our smallness. Then one of the seraphim, verse 6, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, what did Isaiah do to be forgiven and to become guiltless? Did he make penance? Did he, did, did he go uh, uh, say some, you know, did, did he go make up for his badness? No. He simply, with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, confessed to God, God, I am in desperate need of you. That was it. It wasn't earned and it wasn't deserved. It was simply a recognition of his own brokenness. And when he recognized that, God sent this seraphim with a coal, touched his lips and said, you are now clean. After he was clean, the Lord said, by the way, do we know who it was that, he, that, that Isaiah saw? I mean, God doesn't have a physical body, right? So how did he see him? Yet he saw God. John tells us in John chapter 12, verse 41, what he saw, what Isaiah saw, was Jesus. John 12, 41 says that it was Je the glory of Jesus that he saw, that Isaiah saw. And the glory of Jesus uh, 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 was so present that, that, that through that glory, the voice said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now listen. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Does that sound familiar? In Genesis, the scripture in chapter 1, chapter 2, Genesis says, we will make God in our own image. Speaking of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. 
And so there's a consistency here that, that he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. He was actually seeing Jesus because Jesus was there before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. Now, if you'll fast forward just a couple of weeks to Easter, what happened? The one who set the foundations of the earth in place hung on a cross for you and for me. And he died to reveal the glory of God to us. Here is the answer. Whom will I send and who will go for us? Before the answer. Who will I send where? Where where, where is he sending them? Doesn't know, does he? Is he sending them to somewhere? Is he he sending them to do something? Hey, y'all, don't miss this. God said, who will be useful to me? Not who will be useful to do this job, but who will be useful? Who can I trust Who can I send? The answer to King Jesus was a yes without the details being known. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And this is where I want you and I to get. To where we're at the place where Jesus is so marvelous and he's so trusted and he's so good and he's so holy that it doesn't matter where he sends us as long as he goes before us and is with us. That's all that we need to know. I don't need to know where, God. I just need to make sure that I'm where you are. But that's not how we work with God, is it? Here's how we work with God. Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. But I'm going to need some details first. I'm going to need to know where you're sending me and how you're going to provide for my needs. And I'm going to need to know what, uh, what benefits are going to come. And I'm going to need to know, are, are they going to listen and am I going to have any results? Because I, I don't want to live my life with, without results. And so we bargain and we, 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 we talk to God and we say, okay, God, if you'll meet these requirements, then my answer is yes. Am I talking to anybody today? Do we do this? And Lord, as long as you keep me semi-comfortable, I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit, but there's got to be an air conditioning and there's got to be uh, safety. My kids have got to be safe. Lord, I'm just telling you, I ain't going unless my kids are safe. Because I'm a parent and I'm responsible for the safety of my kids. Isn't that how we go? Come on. Isn't that that how we do it? Could you imagine hearing that if you were God? Your creation, human, saying, Lord, I will say yes, but you've got to promise me because I'm responsible for my kids. So you have to promise me that I'll be able to keep my kids safe. Does anybody see the irony in that? Now look, I'm not downplaying our responsibility, but I'm saying having that conversation with God is really quite futile. Here's how the conversation should go. Lord, wherever you send me, I know that you are going to send me and watch over. And Lord, these are not my kids, these are your kids. So wherever you send me, you must have a purpose and plan, and I'm going to trust you to take care of my kids. Doesn't that sound better? 
And I'm going to trust you to keep me safe. But Lord, if you choose not to keep me safe, if part of your plan is suffering, I'm all in. Because I know that in your heart there is nothing that is not good. And I know that you are perfect in all your ways, even when I don't see it. And so I'm trusting you because I've seen you as the holy God that you are. So my yes is there. Wherever, whenever, however, no exclusions, no, no, no uh, uh, what do they call for a green room? Uh, no riders. And Lord, I don't even need a guarantee from you. All I need is your word saying, go, and I will go. Could you imagine being in that place with God? Just think about it. I'll be honest with you, that's a tough one. Here's why. Because what we see with our eyes, we think is stable and secure. We think we've got it. Now look, it's easy to leave a situation that's bad. Because we're escaping bad. It may be worse and it may be better, but at least it's not the bad that we're in, right? That's easy. But when things are good and God says, look, I want you to do this or do that, we go, wait, time out, Lord. I'm just not sure that's your will. Because we're looking with our human eyes, not with, with eyes that come from God. I don't want to digress here. I just want to say that the response that Isaiah had to God was this. Here am I. Send me. And here's what's crazy. Do you know what God sent Isaiah to do? Do you know, do you know the, the, the call that God gave to Isaiah? He said, you are going to preach a message that people will reject. They're going to reject your message and they're going to reject you and they're going to reject me and you're going to be lonely and your life is going to be broken for my sake. And then Isaiah, he goes, well, how long, how long, O Lord, should I preach this? And God said, you preach it until you die. And Isaiah said, yes, Lord. You say, well, what a waste. Yeah, but don't forget. Isaiah is where we have the passage of the suffering servant. The picture of the very death of our king. For he was despised and rejected. You know that, that passage? That came from Isaiah. My prayer for you and for me is that we would see God high and exalted. That we would no longer be bored, comfortable, satisfied, complacent, okay, just coming and going. I'm asking you the same thing Jesus asked of you, radical discipleship, which is simply a yes to God. As we prepare our hearts this morning for our time together tonight, will you close your eyes and bow your head and take a few moments and just ask of God, God, would you search my heart and know my thoughts God would you create in me a clean heart renew a right spirit within me if you're here this morning and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ 
the Bible says that it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. There's nothing you can do to earn or deserve forgiveness. The Bible also says that, that our sin condemns us. That means that we are separated from God, not just now, but for all of eternity because of sin. Sin is anything that offends God, any lie, any wrong thought, any wrong attitude, any wrong action. And sin is so offensive that one sin is enough. Imagine if you only sin one time a day. That's 365 in a year. That's 3,650 in 10 years. If you live to be 50, how many thousands of offenses to God would that be? And yet the Bible says, but God demonstrated His love for us that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that our sin would not be accounted, not be counted against us, but they would be counted against Him. He would bear the weight of our sin so that we could be totally right with God. This morning, I'm asking you to step across the line of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This morning, if there's things in your life that God has been dealing with you about, why wait till tonight? Why not settle that now? Will you stand? And as you stand quietly and reverently, I'm going to ask you just to, to stand in an attitude of prayer. Take this time to, to, to speak with God. Take this time to, to let God speak to you.